Amen. If you would remain standing and take a copy of your scriptures and turn to the book of Luke, I encourage you to turn with me. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 9. The church Bible there is found on page 868. We are looking at chapter 9, verse 51 to the end of the chapter. But I encourage you to have the scriptures open, follow along, um, to read God's word for yourself, to know it, to learn it. Don't just take my word for it, as Reading Rainbow used to say, uh, but, but be in the book yourself. Um, let us be Bereans to know what, what God himself uh, calls us to do and to, to know our Lord more. But before we read, let us go to the Lord in prayer, also remembering we need the Holy Spirit now. Uh, we need the Spirit to open up our eyes, open up our hearts, lest we are here in vain. We are not a social club. We have come to worship God, and we need His Spirit to enliven our hearts that we might know Him, embrace Him, and follow Him. So let's pray now that God would do that in all of our hearts. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank You that You speak to us. And Lord, even as the prophets of old, they were looking out to see what You would say. Lord, we have every anticipation that you will speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. Open up our blind eyes a little bit more that we might behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that you would unstop our deaf ears a little bit more that we might hear of him crucified for sinners like us. That you would soften our hearts that we will embrace him, our king, our prophet, our priest that we might follow him and give our lives for the building of your kingdom and for your glory. Be merciful to us, Lord, as we come to your word to hear it, to know it. Speak, O Lord, we ask, we pray, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. People of God, hear God's word this morning from the gospel of Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. Please be seated. As some of you know, I was up at uh, Shaw Air Force Base for a few weeks, um, serving up there. And uh, you wouldn't know it too, but, you know, I would try to go to the gym and exercise. And uh, in the gym, they have uh, this big mural, 
And it, these words, big and bold, so if you walk in the gym, you can't miss it. And it reads, out of every hundred men, ten shouldn't even be there. Eighty are just targets, nine are the real fighters, and we're lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one, one is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. And you can read that, and you're a chaplain. You're like, I don't even have a gun. What am I doing here? And, but, you know, it's meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be inspiring. Um, it's meant to, to, to call warriors to get in the battle to fight. It's to be a reminder to all the warriors who would enter and read it that there is a time when a man has to make a decision, that you can either turn and run or you can move forward, and at least in the Air Force, to fly, fight, and win. And you may hear even stories of military members and uh, police officers and firefighters who have faced these kinds of serious choices, and thankfully for us, they continue to move forward, have kept us safe and protected us. But there is an enemy that no military can conquer. It has claimed many heroes and courageous people. There is a foe that is too great for any mere man to overcome. And that enemy is death. And it is the only, the only one, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the power to destroy that no one else could. And here we are in verse 51, and it begins... When the, dra- the days drew near for him to be taken up. You wouldn't have, maybe have noticed it, but verse 51 is maybe one of the most important verses in all of scriptures. Will the Messiah fulfill, fulfill his destiny? Will he move forward or look back and run? Here you have a very pinnacle uh, a choice, uh, a crucial choice choice that the Savior is making here? Will he move forward against all apparent odds and the disciples have given him every reason to turn and run and go away? Why would I save this people? If you recall uh, in our last sermon here in Luke, the disciples, they're failing in their faith. Um, You know, uh, they're, they're, not, they're, they're being self-reliant. They can't get this demon to come out of this boy because they're not relying on Christ. It says they can only come out by prayer. Uh, they're not trusting in Christ any longer. They're failing in their understanding. They don't understand that Christ is going to the cross to suffer and to die. And he says, let that sink into your ears. Don't forget the cross, church. Don't forget the cross, church. Don't forget the cross. But you know what the disciples have done? They've forgotten the cross. And they're failing in humility. Well, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Jesus took me up to the mountain. He didn't take you. Well, of course he has to take you because he has to watch you wherever he goes. And they're fighting and arguing, who is the greatest? And then someone actually is casting out demons in Christ's name. So, well, hey, that's for us to do. You know, we're Christ's disciples. We have a monopoly on this kind of ministry. You can't really join us because there's only 12 of us and they're all filled up right now. So you you have to stop doing that. And so there's arguing and bittering. They come off the mountain of this, you know, great transfiguration, and Christ is seeing and experiencing this, and now they go to this other town. Let's just go. Come on. But here, in verse 51, 
rather than turn and go. It tells us that he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He moves forward. He sets his face to go to the city of God. And from chapters 9 through 19, Jesus is making his way to the city. And one might ask, well, you know, 9 through 19, what's taking them so long? Well, we'll see that the disciples, they're, they're clearly not ready. Jesus needs to disciple them more. He needs to care for them more and teach them more. There's more that Christ needs to do. The, the sad irony here about the city of God that is Jerusalem is that it is the city of God, yet it is the most dangerous place that the Son of God will go. Because what waits for Jesus in the city of God? He sets his face toward Jerusalem, and what he knows is coming is betrayal, an unjust trial, mockery, being whipped, the crown of thorns, spitting, nails, spear, the agony of the cross and curse, and yet he fixed his face to go forward to conquer what you and I would fail and could not do. He never flinches for a moment from the work that he has undertaken. Now, if it was me, I probably wouldn't. You know, I would turn back and I would run. But Jesus' heart is set on paying the price for our redemption. And if Jesus doesn't do this, if Jesus doesn't do verse 51, we are not saved. He moves forward. J.C. Ryle, a pastor, theologian, says, Forever let us remember that he was ready to suffer and he would suffer, and so he is always ready to save. Just think about how Jesus was so ready to move forward, ready to fulfill his destiny, ready to accomplish the work of redemption, ready to suffer, ready to take on the curse. How much more ready is Jesus willing and ready to save you? All the more. He is ready to save right now. These first verses are they are reminders of what Jesus did for us. But this text is also more than that. It's also about following Christ. That being a Christian is not just about listening to theology and thinking about theology and talking about theology. Being a Christian means living your life for Christ. It means taking up your cross. It means dying to self. It means a, not a life of ease or triumph or comfort, but in fact a life of suffering. Will you move forward to follow Jesus no matter what? This is the question that the text will put to us. Will you also move forward to follow Jesus or will you turn and run? Another commentator also reminded me of that song that I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that song? No turning back. No turning back. Let us move forward. Let us not turn back. So now they are moving forward, and they come to this town in Samaria, and the town won't receive Jesus. And why not? Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And I think there's a twofold purpose there. You know, the Samaritans hated Jews, uh, and vice versa. They would argue about the proper place of worship. It's, you know, no, Jerusalem. No, it's Mount you know, Gerasim, and this is a proper place, and we hate each other. And I know I'm not going to help a Jew get to Jerusalem because we hate each other. 
Uh, and there's certainly that help going on. You know, they're not going to help Jesus. He's a Jew. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. Not going to help him. Not a good Samaritan. Um, not going to happen. But there's also something else is that there's also, we're, in reading this first, we're supposed to pick up the divine truth is that nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from his work of redemption. Even if this town would embrace him, as some would, Jesus will not stop. He will go to the cross. And when uh, James and John, the, the sons of thunder, they hear that Jesus is being rejected. Well, we're going to do something about that, Jesus. And so they say in verse 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? You ha- Remember, you just have the disciples. They can't summon up enough faith to help a man's son. They don't understand the cross, and they're just recently arguing about the greatness, you know, who's the greatest. But you know what we can do? We're going to pray for judgment. Fire, fire, fire. We can do that. But we're not going to help people. We're not going to pray for them. We're not going to get on our knees and pray and, and fast. We're going to argue and bicker with one another. But you know what we can do? Judgment. Yes. Isn't that interesting? That sounds right for the disciples. And maybe even right for our own hearts, again, wanting mercy for ourselves, but judgment for others. And Jesus rebukes them. And here's the point of this little part is, you know, you can have a lot of zeal for Christ and yet exhibit it in sinful ways. It's very possible to have good intentions and yet make serious mistakes And you can even think that you have the Scriptures on your side, and you can even quote Scriptures uh, to support your your conduct, and yet be in error. Because that's exactly what the disciples are doing. They're they're thinking, we're following Jesus, and, you know, we're like like the new prophets. We're the apostles now. We're new prophets. Hey, we're like like Elijah. You know what Elijah did? Uh, He sent fire down. And he burned up all the, the, these, the, the prophets and priests of Baal. And it is such a cool thing. Look, you know, look there in, in 1 Kings. And that's what we're, sure, we're, sure, we're supposed to do that. Just like uh, Elijah. We're going to send fire down too. Uh, we're going to be just like Elijah. And we're quoting Scripture. We're just going to be just like that guy. But we need more than zeal. We also need spiritual insight and wisdom to know how to apply the Scriptures correctly in our situations. You know, if you look through church history, you know, there are thousands who are burned. There are thousands who have been hanged and beheaded, and all in the name of the gospel. And those who have slain them have actually believed that they were doing a service to God. But as Jesus reveals in our text, that they are only showing, and we can show in our, our hearts, our own ignorance of the spirit of the gospel and the mind of Christ. You know, it's very possible you're right about some error in the church. It's very possible you're right about what's happening in the culture, and it's no good. But are you responding in the way that demonstrates the kindness and mercy of God in Christ? Even Jesus has recently said in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And how Jesus tells us to respond to our enemies 
is the opposite of how the world tells you to respond. The exact opposite. The world tells you, send fire, judgment now. But Jesus says, pray, love. Do good to those who hate you. Do you know what today is? It's more than just Sunday. Today is a day of salvation. Today is the day for sinners to repent and believe. Today is a day of mercy, not judgment. Now, there is a day coming of judgment, and it will be a terrible day, but until that time, we are to call sinners like you and me to repent and believe, and God will have mercy upon them. You know what's interesting in God's work here with his disciples' heart is that if you look in the book of Acts, Peter and John will actually go back to the Samaritans and maybe even this town, I don't know, and they're going to share the gospel with them. And also, John, a son of thunder, who's one of the people saying, you know, fire, thunder, now, he'll write a book to the church in uh, 1 John. He'll write a few letters, but in 1 John, and you know what the theme of 1 John is? Love. Beloved, let us love one another. Love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God. And so we will see Christ working in their hearts, but still, there's some work to be done. And now they continue to move forward, and we see three men who Christ interacts with, followers, would-be followers, maybe followers, we don't know. We don't actually know what happens. We'll get to that. But three different people now will approach Christ as he's moving towards Jerusalem. The first man, he is a volunteer. He doesn't wait to even be called. And he says in verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why does Christ respond like that? That seems kind of like a strange response. If someone says, you know, I'm ready to go to church and follow Jesus, we would think, yeah, that's great. Come on, like, let's, let's go do that together. But Jesus kind of gives them this strange response, and Jesus is telling him that the Christian life, it's not a life of ease, but of sacrifice. Um, Jesus is making sure that if you know that you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to follow me, this is not a bait and switch. This is not your best life now. There's actually going to be a lot of difficulty. There's going to be a lot of suffering and difficulty. Following Jesus is not glamorous. In fact, Jesus says, I'm homeless. Are you ready to be homeless? If that's what it took to follow me, are you willing to give up everything to follow me? Are you prepared to do the same thing? And that's Jesus' theme, right? When he is born in Bethlehem, there's nowhere for him to go. He goes to his own people and they don't receive him. The Samaritan town, they don't receive him. They'll go to Jerusalem, the city of the king, and they don't receive him. Jesus gave up everything to be your Savior. And what, they, what he's posing to this disciple is, are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? It doesn't necessarily mean that you sell everything right now and that you start living on the street, but it does mean that you will never allow earthly things to get in your way of pursuing Jesus. And, it, and if Jesus called you to do that, would you do that? Would you give up everything to follow Jesus? Even if you look here in chapter 9, Jesus says in verse 25, 
What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world but yet loses his soul? What does it profit you? You have all the houses, you have all the boats, you have everything, but you've lost the only person that can save your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? Will you trust Him? Will you follow Him? If Jesus called you into the mission field, would you go? Would you leave family? Would you, would you leave goods behind and go share the gospel? Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And here's the question. Is the Lord your dwelling place? Is He our dwelling place? Or is this world our dwelling place? The call is, let the Lord be your rock. Let Him be your all. Let Him be your dwelling place. Let goods and kindred go. Like a new soldier, and you're, I have a lot of military examples in this sermon, you'll see. I don't, maybe it's just because of what I was just doing. But like a, a new soldier just goes through basic training. There's a certain excitement. You know, I got this new uniform. I, people are calling me soldier and, you know, you know, maybe even getting a salute from if you're an officer. But uh, have they considered the wounds? Have they considered the conflicts that must be endured in order to carry that title? So it is for the Christian. We can get excited, you know, I'm a Christian, and, you know, I go to church, and people see me, and they're like, hey, good to see you, but have you considered the cost, the wounds, the suffering of taking up your cross daily and dying to self? No one dies to self and says, yay, I'm dying to self. This is David in, in Psalm 51, that says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. No one breaks a bone and is like, yes, broken bone, so glad, but let us rejoice that God is renewing us and strengthening us, and let us share the gospel to other sinners. Are you willing to give it up? Second, another person says to him, follow me. Jesus goes to him, says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus calls this man. This man's excuse is not about possessions, but about his family. If ever there was an excuse, this one seems legitimate, doesn't it? I mean, in fact, there's a whole command about honoring your father and mother, right? So, um, he wants to go take care of them. It's most likely that his father was not yet dead in this text. The Jewish people often buried within 24 hours. So I think what the man is asking here is permission to take care of his father in his, his dying days to go you know, for a number of years till, uh, as his father's declining till he dies. I think that's what's happening here. And Jesus recognizes, as Jesus often does with people he interacts, that he's using his family situation as an excuse of delaying discipleship. Um, family is a good thing, but sometimes good things can even keep us from following Christ. Uh, some of us, uh, and maybe even this was your experience, uh, there was hesitancy in following Christ because you thought, I, you know, I don't know what my parents are going to think about that. You know, my parents might reject me. My, my parents might not like that, you know, I'm going to this church. Um, you know, I'm not sure my wife would like that if I start, you know, really pursuing Christ and giving, you know, giving all that we have toward the pursuit of Christ. I don't know if she might not like that. I don't know. And young people, too, this is, uh, you know, 
for, for you, who you marry makes a difference. And this is just a little illustration I had in my head about who I was going to marry and thank the Lord that the Lord is gracious to me. But who you marry makes a big difference. And I remembered, I pictured myself as a horse. Um, pretty easy to, to picture, but and I'm running a race. And my goal is, in the finish line is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm running the race and I'm, 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 I'm running towards Christ. And men, who you marry, is gonna be, they're going to be like a little jockey. And they're either going to say, hey, why don't you slow down? You know, the other horses aren't running as hard as you are. You know, you're looking a little nuts as hard as you're running. Slow down. Let's calm. Let's, there's some nice flowers over here. Let's go take a look at these flowers on the infield. Smell them. Just enjoy ourselves a little bit. But the people you want, and especially your spouse too, you want them to say no. You think you're running, run harder. Run faster. Stay focused. And run towards the goal that is Jesus Christ. Those are the people we need in our lives. And uh, young people, as you think about who the Lord might call you and to, to marry, and that's who you need in your life. Jesus said in verse 60, leave the dead to bury the, their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this sounds really harsh. Just imagine, you know, we are out doing this evangelistic thing downtown, and you come up and say, you know, Pastor Dan, you know, my dad's not, he's, he's not doing well. Um, you probably don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take care of him. And I say, let the dead bury the dead. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, you would probably not be attending Bayhaven here anymore, right? But yet, how, how offended you would get from my, if I said it? But yet, that is exactly what Jesus says. I, I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying here. It is not easy. This is maybe... One of the hardest things Jesus tells his disciples. He says unbelievers can take care of unbelieving things. They can bury people. They can do other things. But there is one job that the believers can do that no one else can do, that you are called to do, every one of you, and that is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And what, if there's anything stopping you from sharing the gospel, it needs to stop. Let, let other people do those things and you must be sharing the gospel. You must be proclaiming the kingdom of God. Leave other obligations to someone else. For you to miss a, a, a family funeral, that, that's a, I mean, what would have to happen in your life to miss the, fa- the funeral of your dad? Something pretty serious, right? It would have to be really important to miss the funeral of a loved one. Here's another military situation, though. Men are often deployed, and people die when you're overseas. And not only do you miss funerals, you miss Christmases, you miss birthdays, you miss anniversaries. But why? Why are those things missed? Because it's deemed important. Uh, it's deemed that there is a cost higher uh, that, that is, is even more valuable than might even missing a funeral or a wedding or birthday, Christmas. And the point is that Jesus' calling is so high, it's so important that the burial of a loved one pales in comparison. I also notice the word here first. Let me first do this. If anything is first in front of Jesus, it's idolatry. Christ is always first. If anything is first in your life, I need to do this before following Christ. It's idolatry in your life and you need to let it go. It cannot have first place. Following Christ has to have first place in your life. 
And unless you can understand that, then you actually can't properly care for your family and their deepest needs. Now, caring for our parents is a way that God will often call us to uh, follow him. But the point here is don't put off Jesus. Follow him now. Follow him now. Be willing to give everything up. Follow him now. And then third, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. He doesn't want to wait around for someone to die, but uh, just at least let me have enough time to go say goodbye to folks. And that sounds reasonable, right? I mean, in fact, Elijah did this, uh, and you know, we've been talking about Elijah a little bit. Yeah, Elijah did this in 1 Kings chapter uh, 19. Uh, he was permitted to go back, kiss his father and mother goodbye, and Elisha went home, and he burned his plow. He slaughtered his oxen, and he held a farewell feast for his family and friends. There was no retreating, no going back for Elijah. And I think Jesus has that in mind when he says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you follow Christ, you have to have a singular focus. You have to, to look forward. You can't be plowing a straight field and you're looking back. You know, I took this motorcycle lesson training course, and one of the things you learn as you're riding a motorcycle is wherever your head goes, that's where the motorcycle goes. So you can't go straight and you're looking here because where, where's the bike going to go? It's going to go over here. And the same the idea is with the plow. You can't be plowing straight. You can't be doing the work of the Lord and your attention is back here. It's not going to work. Um, uh, once you start, don't turn your eyes back. And the reason we are tempted to look back, the reason why someone would be tempted to look back as they are plowing is because that's where your heart is. When I go to work each day, I have a little girl standing at the door who's saying, Dada. And don't you think I look back? Of course I look back, right? Because that's where my heart is. And I'm going to look back every single time to see that little girl crying as I'm going to work. Because I love her. And that's where I want to be. I don't really want to go to work. I just want to be with her. Because, um, you know, those who look back, you really want to go back. Our hearts must be heavenward and not to this world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture, and maybe you know this, is remember Lot's wife. Because what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. She was rescued from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and fire and judgment was coming down. And as she's leaving, they're told not to look back. She looks back, and judgment falls upon her, and she turns to a pillar of salt. And what Jesus is saying, don't look back. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where is your treasure? Is it the things of this world, or is it heavenward? Do you remember Pilgrim's Progress, too? He heads out, and his family is shouting at him, screaming at him, come back. And he puts his fingers in his ears. Does he love his family? Of course he does. But he recognizes and sees the value of his soul's salvation, and it means even more than his family ties. Don't delay in coming to Christ. Don't wait till retirement. Don't wait till your kids get older. Don't wait till you finish school. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to follow Christ. 
Now, what became of these men? What happened to all three of these guys? It doesn't tell us. We don't know how they responded. And I think that's purposeful because that that poses the question for us. How will you respond? Are you going to hear that following Christ is not easy and when difficulty comes, like, you know, not, let's just go back. If Christ calls you to leave everything, even your family behind, would you do it? Will I follow Christ? Will I be homeless? Would I be willing to? Will I follow Christ and proclaim the gospel and leave the dead to bury the dead? Will I follow Jesus right now? We praise the Lord. We thank God that Jesus kept going and nothing could deter him. He'd given up all and with a single focus went to glorify his Father even to death that we might be saved because we fail in these things, don't we? We fail again and again, and that's why we need Christ. But those who love Christ, when the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, let us in the same way set our hearts on Jesus and never look back. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is not an easy text. Jesus says some very difficult things. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what Christ did for us on the cross and accomplished our salvation. Help us to recognize that Christ is the true and living God and that we owe our full and complete allegiance to him. Lord, help us to remember that this world is fleeting, it is passing away, that this world is not our home. Help our anchor to be heavenward. Help our treasure to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is what we pursue, that is what we love, Uh, that is where our head turns to, is where Christ is. And let us run the race with endurance. Let us set our eyes on the prize. And Lord, even though we stumble and we fall and we fail, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ did not, but he set his face to accomplish our salvation. And then it's in him and him alone we rest. It's in Jesus' name we we pray. Amen.